0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable. Exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, you know, you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast.
1: Well, 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 the band is back together for the first time in I don't know how many weeks, fellas, the trio has been completed once again. It's Top Rope Nation, Ryan Drosty of ComicBook.com, and I am here with both of them tonight, Kyle Ross and Justin Joint, as we get set to do a little historical deep dive tonight. We're talking about WCW Clash of the Champions to get us ready for WWE Clash of Champions this Sunday on the WWE Network. And so let me first welcome to the show Justin Joint uh, exactly 2 weeks ago was the last time you were on the broadcast. Welcome back to your show,
2: Justin Top Rope Nation. What's going on? Not much man. Uh good to be back and uh really good to be talking to to both of you. it Feels like it's been forever. Uh but yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I could be worse. I could be a member of retribution. <laughs> You could have a name like J Bar, right? Yeah, J Bar. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I don't even know when the like I don't even know when the last time it was that you and Kyle were on the same show because we've kind of been doing these split things where I'm with you one episode and Kyle the other episode. It has been quite a long time, so good to have you guys both on the line. Kyle, what's going on out there in Ohio tonight? What up, T Bar? What up, Mace? <laughs> What great creative man. I mean, those are some really complex, thoughtful names.
0: The only slapjack I recognize in professional wrestling belongs to Stevie Ray, for the record. There we go. There we go. Stevie Ray complete, competed
1: on a Clash of the Champions more than one. Should actually. have been should have been named Slap Nuts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if this is the first time you are listening. To Top Rope Nation. I don't know what's taken you so long to tune into this broadcast, but you're going to not want to miss another show. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts, whether it is Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Podbean, or even over at TopRopeNation.com. Better yet, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. A written review goes a step further. If you leave us a written review, leave your Twitter or Instagram username in the review so I can get a hold of you and send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. That's all you got to do for a free gift, a written review with five stars. I'll send you the free Top Rope Nation sticker, and also we will read it on the air. And of course, we are brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. Check out bluewirepods.com for all your podcasting needs. And while you're at it, check out some of the other wrestling podcasts on Blue Wire. Check out the two jabronis with a wrestling podcast show with BJ and Jeremy. Those guys always do a great job. And also check out Fight Game Media. GG over there, Double G, has a great interview. Just went up today with the AEW champion, Mr. John Moxley, talking UFC. Moxley is a huge UFC fan, so highly recommend you guys check out that show, Fight Game Media, their latest episode with John Moxley. And later in this broadcast, we'll be hearing from our sponsors over at Bet Online and Indeed. But like I said, guys, we're talking Clash of Champions. If you've been tuning in to Top Rope Nation for a long time, you know we like to go retro on you. We like to talk old school wrestling. So we thought this was a great opportunity with Clash of Champions this Sunday. To kind of go back and uh, look at all of those shows, well, not all of them, but some of the highlights of the 35 editions of Clash of Champions, Clash of the Champions, I should say. which Easy aired for be- you to say. Yeah, which aired between 1987 and 1997. Some of the most iconic moments in the history of WCW, and I guess I should say NWA, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, when they first started airing. Uh, Kyle, I mean, just... Overall, your reflections uh, as a kid growing up, a wrestling fan, Clash of
0: Champions, what did those shows mean to you? First things first, uh, getting back to the three of us doing the show together, Ryan, I think you would agree it's always wonderful to share a joint, isn't it? Hell yeah, it is, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I've been Clash... sitting on that for the last five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. That's actually what I was looking up, the joint. I was like, I knew I had a good joke written. Let me look it up. No. um, So... Clash of the Champions is really interesting because, you know, in its heyday, it was at a time where there weren't a lot of pay-per-views, and the idea of you know, getting you know, top guys, wrestling top guys for free on free TV for two to three hours was a really big deal. Um, I don't think Saturday Night's main event is the most apt comparison like on the WWF side. I think really, like, in a modern context, the thing that's most similar to Clash of Champions would be NXT TakeOver.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: In the sense that we, they were built to, it's like five matches, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, a lot of the early Clashes were often five matches. So, um, yeah, having gone through a bunch of them here for the show, um, I'm pretty psyched to talk about this, man. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah. There was a lot of stinkers, too. But, there was. um Yeah, but, but to the, we'll, we'll just focus on the good here. Yes. You
2: know, I kinda I would echo everything Kyle says, but at least for when I started getting into Clash, it was also that it was like during the week, you know, during the the school week. So that was like an extra special gift to be able to uh watch that, you know, after school.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was I mean it's it's hard. There's so much wrestling on TV these days. If you're a newer fan, it's kind of hard maybe for you to imagine what it was like back then. But I mean, like if you were a WCW fan. Television wise, I mean, the signature show before Nitro was WCW Saturday Night, right? Um, and that aired obviously on Saturday nights. You had shows in uh syndication like uh WCW Pro, they had uh, let's see, Worldwide uh, Main Event, Power Hour. Those were like uh, some of those were on TBS. Power Hour was on TVS, wasn't it? Yes, to, yeah, and that, that was only on for like five years, I think. But I mean, they had like these shorter shows, but Yeah, like I said, uh, WCW Saturday Night was like the main show, and you got that once a week. So, you know, they'd have these Clash of the Champions shows, which were like network specials, as Kyle mentioned. Uh, A lot of times they served to kind of build towards a pay-per-view, as we might mention when we go through some of these matches. But, I mean, they were were definitely standalone shows like the Takeovers, like Kyle said, that had kind of a special feel about them. Uh, They were kind of famous for not taking commercial breaks during matches you know like that's something fans have complained about for eons professional wrestling fans and uh clash of the champions was a little bit different and that you would oftentimes see the entire match without a commercial break and I, I mean i know i wasn't a huge wcw fan growing up i'd say most of my memories of watching these actually live starts around clash 28 which was in cedar rapids iowa which i begged a friend to go to who had tickets and he didn't take me, so I didn't get to attend it. But I watched it that night. Uh, and that was in ninety-four. So I think from like ninety-four through ninety-seven, I watched most of them live, and I always really, really looked forward to them because it was like a it was like a pay-per-view on free television. So yeah, I mean a lot of uh, a lot of noteworthy matches, especially when you look at like Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Sting. Uh, they had so many, so many famous matches.
0: Yeah, and you know, you talk about the proliferation of TV today. That is precisely what kind of did in the Clash of Champions as a series, right? Once, yeah, once you had started. monthly pay per views, and you had Nitro, the you know Clash of Champions was an obsolete concept. You didn't need it anymore, um, especially you know I mean some of those Nitros. I mean were you know just like a Clash of Champions. It was just it was kind of pointless, and the, you know going into '98 when they debuted Thunder, there was absolutely no need. Uh, to do one of these things. So uh, that ended it, you know, um, there were typically four to five a year from 88 to 94, and then they dropped that down to two uh, in 95 to 97. I know Mike Graham likes to take, you know, I guess God rest his soul uh, in that hide- in his hideous performance in that Rise and Fall WCW DVD, but um, it was not Mike Graham's idea.
1: So I was thinking about this, Kyle, because we kind of talked about... Um, a little bit about the WWF, uh, WCW war as it relates to pay-per-view and being on the same night and everything. When we did a show way back on episode 13 of Top Rope Nation. Oh my God. November of 2016. You remember doing that show? It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but uh, we did a deep dive on the history of their Survivor Series. So we talked about uh, 87 and 88, but when we talked about 87, we really talked about how you know, WWE had strong-armed the cable companies with Starcade and ran head-to-head. And then that went into January of, uh, 88, where you had the Royal Rumble and the Bunkhouse Stampede on the same night. And so then you get to the night of WrestleMania four, and WCW, or it would become WCW, still Jim Crockett Promotions at the time, uh, they decided to give WWE a taste of their own medicine and they ran Clash of the Champions One on March 27, nineteen eighty-eight, from Greensboro in one of their all-time best markets, head to head with the WWE's biggest event of the year. And uh, that clash, Kyle, was pretty damn successful, was it not?
0: It was. And it put a dent in the mania buyer. At least that's what people, you know, have come to, you know, say. Uh, it was Easily the superior show of the two that evening. Um, and it was a little bit of vengeance for Crockett and what it, uh, WWF had done to them over the last several months. But uh, of course, the good times would not last long. And by the end of '88, Crockett had to sell the Turner. Uh, the following year, they tried it again. And there was a lot, a lot of behind the scenes maneuvering with the cable companies why this happened. Um, They tried to go against WrestleMania again with Clash 6, which, of course, has the famous Flair Steamboat match that we're going to talk about later. Uh, And that show did not put a dent at all in WrestleMania 5. WrestleMania 5 did a monster buy rate, um, the biggest pay-per-view number um, for 10 years until Austin Rock broke it at WrestleMania 15. And there were a lot of reasons for that. uh, Mainly, George Scott is an idiot. uh, But, (laughs) uh, you know, I mean. Nothing like not promoting a big TV special with Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat on it, but that's uh, maybe a different story for a different day. Yeah, so the
1: Clash 6, the Superdome, was uh, not close to sold out. <laughs> not even It wasn't even half full, if I recall correctly. So, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was not a lot of people there, but a legendary match. We're going to talk about it here in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think... I really find the the maneuverings uh, with the pay-per-view business and what was going on with Crockett and Vince so, so interesting. So if if you want more on that, really go back in our archives way back. Like I said, episode 13, we really deep dive into what was going on uh, at the end of 87 and early 88. And I mean, that pretty much led into the Clash of the Champions. And uh, I guess to start talking about some of the best matches from these shows... Uh, i'm just going to kind of go off of what i wrote the other day uh so on saturday night i, I published a uh i guess you called a column a feature over on comicbook.com looking at what i deemed the seven best wcw clash of the champions matches and i mean it's a lot of the usual suspects that you would expect i mean i started it off i just put them in chronological order i didn't rank them in you know which match i thought was the best i just went chronologically and 1st I had to start with Sting and Flair from the first Clash. Um, We talked about this one on our Ric Flair draft that we did a couple of months ago here on the program. I mean, it's just a legendary match. 45-minute time limit draw. Mostly, this is the match that really put Sting in in the main event uh, scene, really established him as a star. I know some people are critical of this one when you go back and watch it, but... I mean, the historical significance of it is is so high, and it being on that, on that first clash, I had to have it on my uh, my list. Uh, Kyle, I think you were kind of critical of this one on our flair draft, but I mean, what's your takeaway in that one?
0: I wouldn't say critical. I just, I don't think I'm as high on it. I know it won match the year in the Observer for 88. I don't know if I agree with that. So, I mean, if that's being critical, then I guess I'm critical. Um, interesting n- note here. It's not just that it made Sting a star, it's that after the match was over, the consensus feeling within the company is that Sting was going to be the man to lead the promotion into the 90s. And that really didn't go as well as it hoped. You know, Um, it it was like kind of this golden goose they kept just waiting for. Like, oh, okay, you know, I know things, business is going down, but when Sting gets the title, when Sting gets the title, oh, the, the sky will be blue forever, the sun will shine. Um I guess the sky is blue forever so the sun will shine forever. Um but it didn't really go as planned. And it kind of torpedoed Lex Luger's babyface push in the process because yeah. he was, you know, the the at the to- at that very time he had just done a Horseman split and he's the guy who main evented against Flair at the next pay-per-view, Great American Bash 88. Um so oh well, I guess, but um yeah, it made Sting and uh fuck Sandy Scott for ruling it a draw. well said yeah (laughs) yeah that's not talked about enough is like how they had these judge these these judges at ringside and they had like it was a play uh boy playmate ruled it for flair uh gary juster voted for sting and then sandy scott uh the third judge uh was like well i rule it a draw (laughs) that's some kind of cheap booking and of course you had Eddie Haskell and Jason Hervey at ringside yes. as well. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, a, a very big deal. I mean, this match did a... Mon- you talk about the success of this show, Ryan, uh, earlier on. Uh, this show did a monster number um, on TBS. This match in particular, uh, especially in you know their home markets, the TV ratings were through the roof. Uh, so it was a big winner, no doubt about it. And I think... Of the seven matches you have listed, which I have read over, this is one of the four that everyone will have on their yeah. top seven.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah it did a, f- a 5.6 rating on TBS, which is a very, very good cable rating in that era. Um, like you said, Kyle, though, I mean, this show, looking at it versus WrestleMania 4, which is uh, not a great show. I mean, it has a great moment at the end with Savage hoisting the title and everything, but... Uh, In-ring-wise, it's it's not a great show, but when you look at Clash of the Champions, one, you got Flair and Sting, but you also have the Midnight Express and the Fantastics in a really good tag team match earlier on the card, which I had in my uh, honorable mentions in the article, uh, and, and also the
0: luger Wyndham versus Arn and Tully match. Uh, the semi-main is a good one, yeah. too. Yeah. The pop that Lex Luger and Barry Windham get when they win the titles, spoiler alert, Uh <laughs> is among the most thunderous I've ever heard in the history of professional wrestling.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, they couldn't have picked a a better market to run the show in, right? Greensboro.
0: Oh, absolutely not. And then the Midnight Express Fantastics match, you mentioned, that would absolutely be in my top seven. It might be my favorite match on the show. Um, Just a tremendous brawl to start. I love Jim Ross losing his mind on commentary. Uh, I obviously do not love the hideous overdub of the Midnight Express music on the WWE (laughs) Network. Whoever (laughs) responsible for that should be beaten. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, I mean, just imagine those teams not having a good match. I know there's a dusty finish, and if uh, those of you who maybe want to check that match out for the first time, you like what you see, they have a tremendous rematch that airs on Worldwide a little over a month later. And it goes about 40 minutes with the Fantastics winning the belts in another match of the year candidate. It's on Daily Motion if you want to check that out.
1: Well, we know it's not on uh, Monsoon Classic.
0: No, it isn't. I, did, I wasn't going to mention that because I think it was out. originally.
1: Yeah, it, well, I'm I'm positive it was pour one out once again. We mentioned on the last show, monsoon classic. God, I hope that channel comes back.
0: But yeah, I mean, out of five matches on the first clash, I'd have three at four stars or better. That's a yeah. phenomenal percentage. Oh yeah, great great show. With um, two at four and a half, this in the stinger flare match.
2: Yeah, if they were AEW, Dave would have gave him five. If it was <sighs> in the
0: Tokyo Dome, he would have gave him six. <laughs>
2: if he was ringside, he would have gave
1: it five. Like he was at a lot of the big matches. And why did uh, they have Dave 89. judging
0: instead of Sandy Scott? <laughs>
1: it's true. Fuck well, Sandy they, they had some better judges in 89, <laughs> which led to some, uh, memorable moments. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, so that would come out of the Flair steamboat, uh, feud when Terry Funk got involved, not on a, not on a class show, but no, um, that was at Russell war. Yeah. But, uh, the match that uh, that really set up the Wrestle War match was the one that took place, we mentioned a few minutes ago, Clash 6 in March 89, went head-to-head with WrestleMania five, and it was that two out of three falls match, just a legendary match with Rick Steamboat and Ric Flair in the Louisiana Superdome, in our one of our favorite cities, gentlemen, New Orleans, Louisiana. If we were older we back were then, there. maybe this would have been a time we would have all went to the show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tickets were still available. Yeah, we could have got Thanks, in. George Scott. Show.
1: How many times when you were at Mania 34, Kyle, did that thought come through your mind? You're such a historian of the sport. I bet you sat there at one moment during the show and thought, you know, this is Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair went at it.
0: You know, I don't know if I did think about that during the time. Shame Too many, on many me. beers? Yeah, probably.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great show. It has like a little bit of a contra- or a great match, I should say. It has a, a kind of a controversial finish We're in the third fall... Uh steamboat wins, but Flair has his like foot under the bottom rope. Uh, it's like a double pin spot, and Steamboat gets his arm up at the last second. But I mean, this is a this is a great match. You talk about the trilogy that Steamboat and Flair had in '89, and um, I know a lot of people pick this one as their favorite. Ooh,
2: I- I've always leaned pretty-
1: towards the Wrestle War one, which I mentioned
2: on the Flair draft. But uh, I mean, it's it's hard to go wrong with Clash Six, Kyle. Yeah. it's this one's that one's pretty easily my least favorite of the trilogy if only because that production on on that clash of the champions show is really bad to go back and watch just with with the lighting of that arena which you know i'm sure they had to do because of the attendance Hmm. but uh it's really bad lots of shadows it's really dark um and then like you said with the funky finish i'd prefer the other two
1: yeah so it sets up the rematch at wrestle war 89 um The show did a 4.3 rating on TBS, so down from the, what did I say, 5.8 for Clash 1 a year earlier. So, yeah, I mean, definitely a a large decrease.
0: I'm going to tell you something right now. I respect the hell out of Justin Joint for what he just said. Because I don't know if anyone else has ever said that, and I kind of feel the same way too. Of the three, it might be my least favorite. Now, uh, those who follow along the show uh, know that I kind of think it's generally unnecessary for a professional wrestling match to go... Uh, 50-something minutes. Uh, This is the best one that ever did. I'll say that. Um, The fact that you know it's not everyone's favorite of the Holy Trinity just speaks to how strong those three matches are. I think that's the lesson learned here. Let's be positive for a minute. Um, And don't forget about Landover, Maryland, by the way, the house show that we've got uh, on on YouTube.com. That's about as good a house show match as I've ever seen. But um, yeah, I mean, this was... Uh, in terms of broadways, is as good as it gets, really, at least on U.S. soil, uh, and it does set up the Wrestle War match um, quite nicely. And you know, all three matches are so different, which is so refreshing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Shaitan Town Rumble is more of the sprint. Yeah, with Steve winning the title, this is you know they go fifty plus, and then Wrestle War kind of feels like you know a greatest hits collage. Of the first two, but then it has, of course, the tremendous angle uh, featuring Terry Funk uh, post-match. So, uh, yeah, something for everybody. I'm not going to, no matter what you think, no matter what your own personal favorite of the three is, I'm not going to fault you. But I like how Justin Joint admitted that uh, this one might be his least favorite of the three, because it might be mine as well.
2: I'm not ashamed to admit, I love a Greatest His album. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, like I said, Wrestle War is
1: my favorite, so... Uh, I misspoke. The Clash 1 did a 5.6, not a 5.8. And this one was down to a 4.3. The clash before this did a 4.6. Uh so they were kind of steadily going down, but of course, going head to head with WrestleMania 5 took a bite out of this one and, and took a bite out of the Live Gate because the estimated attendance was just 5,300 fans <laughs> in the Superdome.
0: Wow. There's a lot more people that were at Saints games around that time, and <laughs> That's Saints were actually getting. Saints were getting good around that time period. Actually, um, I mentioned when we talked Flair Sting Ryan that on your list of seven, four of them were like the no-brainers that everyone's going to have. This clearly another of those four. Is probably uh, the one most will consider the best clash match ever. Yeah, I know it's number one on my list. Mm-hmm.
1: So, should we go to? Flash seven and this is the one that's going to feature ricky steamboat and terry funk in june 1989 i had this one on my list kind of a unique show because it's in uh, fort bragg north carolina so uh, of course a large military base there uh you know you think about wwe doing the tribute to the troop shows these days and basically i guess since what 2002 or so um this was kind of like that and uh they they have a really good match i mean you you look at steamboat and you look at terry funk i think so many of today's fans would be just shocked if they went back and they watched this era of terry funk because i think a lot of the younger people you know like they know him from the very very tail end of his career when you see terry funk in the 1980s man holy shit, was this guy awesome um so i think i wrote in my article that this one kind of gets lost sometimes because it happens you know between steamboat and flair and uh, Funk and Flair at Clash 9 in November later that year. But I, I think this one is worth going out of your way to watch. It's, it's, it's a great match, two of the greatest performers uh, in wrestling history.
0: Yeah, it may not be one of those four obvious ones I keep referencing, but yeah. this would be in my top seven for sure, too. It's also, I believe, the only match uh, in history where they used the WCW top ten as an angle. Mm. behind the match, you know, because yeah. they had, like, Steamboat was the number one contender, yeah. and Funk wanted to be the number one contender. And then, of course, the whole thing is a backdrop for Lex Luger to turn heel, an awesome freaking heel turn to end the show, because he's mad that Steamboat is still ranked number one when he's the U.S. champion. This is one of my favorite clashes. Um, as you mentioned, Ryan, it took place on the Army base, and this crowd is freaking rabid. I mean, Ranger Ross versus the terrorist which opens the show. I mean, th- these people react to that like it was Hogan Andre, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this is the only time, you mentioned obviously these are Flair's two famous rivals uh, from 89. It's the only time they met that year. Yeah. Steamboat yep. and Funk. The so uh, Steamboat selling is magnificent throughout this match. Just absolutely magnificent. And like uh, Luger's heel turn at the end um, when he comes out that they foreshadowed a little bit, which was great. You know, Lex was supposed to be out there at commentary and he didn't come out. Um, Then he shows up at the end, clotheslines. uh, Steamboat hits him with a chair and yells, there lies your number one contender and kicks off Lex's best run ever. Oh, yeah, easily. Go ahead, Justin.
2: I was just going to say, anybody listening out there, if they they haven't seen this Steamboat funk match, uh, I'd say maybe a handful of times, ryan droste is ever cursed on this podcast uh so so that lets you know how good it is <laughs>
1: there you go hey i've been letting him out a little more recently but uh yeah I, I try not to uh early on when we started doing this show i would bleep the curse words and i finally got sick of it because you guys mostly kyle would uh
2: <laughs>
1: be swearing it. i just got sick of throwing in the bleeps and editing so i was like yeah you know whatever i'll put the uh the parental guidance explicit content on these pods and be done with it so <laughs>
0: yeah i just love this crowd man and, uh at clash seven just a bunch of shirtless army guys in the crowd and they're constantly small getting, like, venue pushed. i
1: mean it gives it a, a nice feel too
0: yeah and i also of course the highlight of clash seven is when because they had like goers light uh turnbuckle or, or ring post pads at this time the nwa did and, like jim ross like makes this Random mention of how he'd love to drink a Coop, be drinking a Coors Light right now, and Bob Caudle's like response sounds like he like came in his pants. <laughs> Speaking of bleeps, here we yeah, go. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, Bob, exactly. like Jeff Ross, like I'd love to be drinking oh. a Coors Light right about now, and Bob Caudle's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know what matches, but oh. that exchange absolutely happens on the show, oh. and it must be heard by everybody. <laughs>
1: I would love to throw in that clip, um, but I'm probably not going to search through that whole show to find it. So uh, you guys can go back and watch Clash 7.
0: I think Jr. talked about this on his podcast, as a matter of fact, and just how hot it was in that building. Yeah. Uh, At the time, like, it was over 100 degrees. They had to take their sports coats off, and they were sweating their, you know, what's off, so. Hey, you can say it. Ass.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my list continued with uh, I mentioned a second ago Funk and Flair, uh, the I Quit match in New York in November of '89. Now the the show was not in New York City, by the way. Uh, this is in like Troy, New York, which is a good drive from New York City. But uh, David
0: Dixon of, span country, I believe. Yeah, they kind call of
1: promoted like, promoted it like it was in the New York City area, but uh, a little <laughs> yeah. little ways from there.
0: There was a lot of references to. Oh, I know they're watching us today in Stanford.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, speaking of the uh, the star rating scale, this one got five stars, if I'm not mistaken, for Mr. Dave mm-hmm. Meltzer, the the I Quit match, and I love the feel of this match right from the get go. I mean, he's Terry Funk coming out just right, right out of the good, the bad, and the ugly, with the cowboy music, and he strolls to the ring. The lighting effects are awesome. Uh, Flair always great, of course. Coming out to 2001, and then man, these guys go to war. Terry Funk, obviously, like one of the great brawlers in the history of wrestling. Um, man, I love this. And like I said, it was it was set up by the Wrestle War match when uh, Funk was a judge and uh, gave a uh, pile driver to rick Flair through a table after the match that Flair had with Steamboat, which you didn't get that much nope. uh, back in that era, like ever. So this match had a ton of heat going into it. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's one of the absolute best matches. Maybe the best match in the career of Terry Funk. So this one draws a 4.9 cable TV rating, uh, which was a pretty large increase from where the Clash had been for the previous several editions. So fans were pumped about it, as you can tell from the, the TBS rating that was drawn. Uh, see, I, yeah, I even had it in my article. This was the highest Clash uh, television rating since Clash 3. So uh yeah. and
0: this is one of the better clashes overall, too, top to bottom. Uh, there's some fun stuff on there with Luger and Pillman and uh, the Midnight Express do a heel turn that gets a huge baby face pop at the expense of the dynamic dudes. Uh, most years this match, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk, I quit, Clash 9, is the match of the year. But it's nineteen eighty nine Ric Flair and it's not. Um, you know, it's the blow off to flair's second great feud of 89 this by the way is a better feud than Flair's steamboat for sure like especially yeah. watching through 2020 20 eyes mm. um you know like the whole family man gimmick of steamboat that doesn't age well no i mean i know was... we're all proud i know we're all <laughs> proud papas but come
1: on man. no the i mean family
0: yeah family man
1: yeah the funk <laughs> stuff was just another level yeah. man. i mean the and, heat and, with the pile driver and yeah. all man.
0: yeah and they had the a really good match. Like, it's a match of the year candidate at Great American Bash. Yeah. Before this, of course. Mm-hmm. And then they went next level here. Um, this match is up there with the Flair Steamboat uh, trilogy, I would say. Just a vicious match for free television, especially in 1989. You get JR and Gordon solely together on commentary, mm-hmm. uh, which you would get very often. So, yeah, just an absolutely tremendous match. And uh, Funk kind of calls it quits after... You know, literally in the match, and then he he doesn't wrestle anymore after this. Ever he was done for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah never wrestled again. Terry he Funk stuck to his foul. guns, stuck to his guns. <laughs> yeah, and, and in him. 1989, Terry Funk's career ended, and he rode off into the sunset.
1: <laughs> you know, the next one I had on my list was one that um, I'm pretty sure we talked about this one on the on the uh, tag team specialist show that we did last July. I think it was like our Fourth of July show last summer in 2019. Spoolge. I know Justin loves this match. You can hear him from across town. Justin
0: doing his Bob Caudill impression.
1: I can hear him from across town and I can almost feel him from across town as we get ready to talk about this one. Uh, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco, the enforcers taking on Dustin Rhodes and the secret opponent, which guys, I just love how they build this up. (laughs) The guy walks out, Steamboat walks out and he's in this disguise, which is a freaking dragon. And they're like, who could it be? Yeah. I don't know who
0: this could be. <laughs> well, and of course, you can always count on Tony Schiavone to not know these things, right? He's like, well, my first guess is it's got to be someone from Japan. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> Come on, man.
0: <laughs> Love how Tony never knows. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey,
1: it is, it's a title change. So we get Dustin and Ricky winning the WCW tag team straps here. Huge pop, though, when Steamboat unveils himself yeah. to be Dustin's partner. Uh, Of course, Steamboat was replacing Barry Windham in the match. Um, Yeah, I mean, Justin, do you have anything to share on this one? Because I know you like it so much.
2: I mean, this show was one of my favorite shows of all time. And actually, you know, the one before it might be arguably the the worst Clash of the Champions ever. But this one, you know, this match was amazing. One of my favorite tag team matches of all time. like you kind of pointed out, the, the, this was a really hot crowd, too. But, you know, you know, this show also included the big, you know, one of my favorite moments that I'm sure we've talked about numerous times on this show, uh, the big sting uh, getting taken to the hospital and coming back and losing the U.S. title to Rick Rude, which uh, a young little stinger, and Justin Joint, was very upset about. Uh, but there's one other thing I really wanted to kind of point out about this oh. show.
0: He was taken to a medical facility, by the way, not a hospital. They were very clear about that the entire show. (laughs) (laughs) My bad, my bad. A medical facility, yes. I believe this is the show that begat that wrestling term, how we will never say hospital. It is always a medical facility.
2: Uh, But yeah, one other thing about the show that I want to point it out, only because of its connection to uh, one of the few things I'm really digging about uh, wrestling right now, uh, the main event for this show. Lex Luger, a recently heel uh, world champion, going up against a tag team specialist in Rick Steiner, a la Roman Reigns and Jey Uso.
0: Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Th- This is one of the best clashes ever. I-, I think you could make a pretty strong case it's the second best clash behind the first one. Um, and as Justin alluded to, it is a remarkable turnaround from the previous several months of WCW, which was absolute, the dirt worst. I mean, that summer. <laughs> just say, the, it. Just say you, it. What? You can Grade say it. A- A- oh, no, I'm no, not. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm saving. I, I, I'm saving some. I got some bombs left later for you. All don't right. worry. You don't need All to right, push that right. those buttons. You don't need to push the curse word button there, Kevin Dunn. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'd say from June through September of 91, WCW is just straight up cow dung. I mean, it is horrible. Flair leaves the promotion. Uh, they're just directionless. Uh, that Clash uh, 16 that Justin referenced is like is really bad. It's one of the worst clashes ever. Um, and this show just leads this huge renaissance right into that dangerous alliance period. Um, oh. And it, it's just great. I mean, Justin, is the greatest moment in wrestling history right after Steamboat? Reveals himself here, and Larry and Arn start frantically calling timeout. Yep. <laughs> like, that, like they start gesturing wildly at the crowd, like, you know, like their basketball coach, like, timeout, timeout. And then Arn starts yelling, he's just a man, he's just a man. And, um, you know, sorry, that's Ricky Steamboat straight off his WWF run as the dragon. Oh. And, you know, which he didn't like. But yet he ironically comes out, as you so astutely pointed out, right, in a dragon costume here. <laughs> Who could imagine? Who is that? You know, Who could that possibly be? You know, be? Th- there was some deal with, like, you know, there was some legal maneuvering behind the scenes, I I know, between WCW and WWF. Because I don't know if they were clear if they could get him. I, I can't remember. Our good buddy Liam O'Rourke sent me this thing because he was just reviewing something randomly. And, and he said something like how... WWF had asked if Steamboat was free and clear to be used, and WWF didn't get the letter till it was too late. And WW got the letter like the day after the Clash or something like that. So anyway, it all worked out. They used him. He's back and had a great run from '91 to '94. And I know we're going to be talking about him again in a little bit later.
1: So what you're saying is uh, Ricky Steamboat might have been checking the job boards, so to speak. That's my transition for this next segment because we got to go to a word from our
0: sponsors.
1: (laughs) And that is our friends over at BetOnline and, yes, Indeed.com. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, and 73% of online job seekers visit indeed each month indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses so right now indeed is offering our listeners a free 75 dollar credit to boost your job posts which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with free 75 dollar credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer available anywhere Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply offer valid through september 30th the wait is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching crops, Bet BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season-opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses and don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts so guys the the next one i had on my list uh, i went forward to november of 92 in clash 21 now this was a rematch uh, about a year earlier these two guys had wrestled it was a very brief match at clash 17 but in november 92 at clash 21 sting and rick rude in the semifinals of the king of cable tournament i mean what a what a title the king of cable there we go um i wrote about this in the article but and we've talked about this on the show before i think and i think justin you're kind of high on this opinion as well but uh a lot of people think that rick rude in this run uh following his exit from the wwe that his run in wcw here in uh 92 was better than his wwe run now What do you think about that, Justin?
2: Absolutely. Um, the thing I wonder is like, you almost want to say it's like it proved what, uh, maybe WWF missed out on, but he wouldn't have been able to have the kinds of matches in WWF that he was able to have in WCW in this time frame.
0: Yeah. to his credit, he, it evolved as a worker, and he obviously did have a better set of opponents where, and, you know, WWF, the focus was the gimmick, more so. I mean, he still did the shtick beforehand, uh, here in WCW, but, um, it was far less shticky than he was, uh, in WWF.
1: Yeah. So, uh,
0: yeah. so go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, go ahead, no, no, I, I didn't mean, uh, Justin referenced the match they had, and, and you did as well, just there, Ryan, at Clash 17. I... Despite its brevity, I actually kind of like that one better than this. Um, Just because of the angle behind it and just, you know, Sting making his way back from the medical facility Mm -hmm. and going in the wrong door at first. Yeah, Yeah, going through the wrong door at first and it's locked and then he like comes in, um, you know, beating the 10 count uh, before he has to forfeit and, you know, Rude winning the U.S. title was a big deal. This, I, I don't know, this is the one of year seven I wasn't nearly as high on. They they sort of telegraphed it being a 20-minute draw. Um, Sting and Vader in the King of Cable finals at Starcade is absolutely tremendous. Um, This was, I think, good but not great.
2: Uh, Real quick, I got to get this dig in. Uh, Going back to what you were just saying about Sting coming back from the medical facility at 17, uh, another thing that really, to me, added to that moment when he finally came out to that live crowd was uh, him coming out to uh, his best theme music.
0: Dun,
1: oh, here dun, we go. Dun, <laughs> dun, <laughs> dun, I thought dun, of that dun. conversation when I rewatched this one uh, the other <laughs> night. Justin, when we were debating it Man just, Called it, Sting and that.
2: It wouldn't have been the same if all of a sudden a man called Sting came on the oh. microphone. Boom! You know what?
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. You are. I don't think that theme ever sounded better than when Sting ran to the ring for that match at Clash 17. Um, You know, and Jim Ross starts yelling, I've never seen anything more courageous in my life.
2: It's it's literally one of my favorite moments in wrestling history.
1: (laughs) I will say that is an awesome moment. I still prefer Man Called Sting. I'll I'll die on that hill, but... uh, I don't know if you guys, if you remember this, uh, we talked about this several months ago when we were talking about Sting's theme song. And uh, I did have to give Justin the win by way of my wife, though. I don't think I ever told that on the show. But uh, after we had that discussion on the podcast, like the next day, I asked my wife, all right, so which of these theme songs do you think is better? And I played the original Sting and then I played Man Called Sting and she went with Justin's opinion. So I gave him the W, but I, I still prefer Man Called Sting. (laughs) Called <laughs> i just love the guitar solo at the beginning of that one but they are both solid theme songs and and to your point justin yeah that is a pretty cool moment thanks <laughs> <laughs> i'm about to add that quote right there to our show open that was great <laughs> all right so uh let's see uh, the next one i had i guess on the list was uh Austin Steamboat, I mentioned this at the show open, Clash 28, August 94 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, I was in 5th grade I believe at the time and I will never forget. I mean, it was like one of the first weeks of school and my friend Jeremy had an extra ticket and I remember it like every recess that day kind of begging him to take me. He didn't take me. He took another kid and uh, he was there. I was not, but man, this is a great match. Uh, Steamboat and Steve Austin were fantastic opponents. Uh this when you look at some of Steve Austin's best singles matches in, in WCW before he left and you know got the pink slip from Eric Bischoff, you got to look at his Ricky Steamboat matches and this one is significant because it was actually Steamboat's last television match until he did that kind of brief comeback or what was it like 2009 in WWE against yeah. I
0: mean, Jericho.
1: Yeah, this this was his last TV match. He wrestled some house shows right after this. Uh, but this was like the swan song for the dragon, and uh, I have always enjoyed this one. I, I know it's on one of the uh, DVDs of Steve Austin's career. He he included on that, so he thinks very highly of it. Uh, obviously, you can, you can check it out on the network now, so I think it's worth a watch. Uh, what do you guys think of this one? Uh,
0: you know, the injury occurs as he skins the cat right before the finish Um, for, for those, you know, uh, keeping score at home. um, So, I did not. I would not have this in my top seven. It would probably be like right outside my top ten. I would say. I and I just watched it a couple hours ago because I was like, you know, something irked. There, there was something that like irked me about this match, and I can't remember what. So I'm going to put it on, and it immediately came to me. So they ran this match right after the big injury angle with Hogan. They did where they ripped off the yes. Tanya Harding Nancy Kerrigan bit. Mm-hmm. You know the the mask guy come up and, and kneecapped capped him, um, you know putting the match with Flair in doubt, and that kind of overshadowed this match. That's on the promotion. A U.S. title change should not have been put in this spot right after a big angle like that. Um, but these two did deliver, and they, to your point, Ryan, uh, they usually delivered. Um, they actually had a very good match at a previous Clash uh, two years earlier for the TV title. Uh, I think it was mm-hmm. Clash Twenty, if I do remember correctly. And I like their Bash at the Beach match, too, um, which set this up because, like, it's really fun towards the end. Austin's trying to get intentionally disqualified by chucking Steamboat over the rope because WCW still the over-the-top rule at this point. And Steamboat keeps skinning the cat so he won't get disqualified and the match continues. That's, I think, some real cool stuff. Um, but, yeah, I-, I knew there was something that, like, kind of took me out of the match a little bit, and it was... Just, you know, the split screen with Hogan in the ambulance. I I didn't think that was very fair um, to these guys who are having a big U.S. title match that, you know, obviously you want to put the Hogan angle over, but you just shouldn't have run the U.S. title match right after it. I believe
1: they take Hogan off to St. Luke's Hospital in downtown Cedar Rapids, which is like right next to the interstate. And every time I drive past that, I always think of the show. (laughs) That's incredible. Every single time. Now,
0: (laughs) did your guys' blood get boiling? Because Bobby Heenan had several... uh, jokes at Iowa's expense do they even have a hospital in the state <laughs> uh, you guys that has to get your blood boiling in oh that kind of man chatter.
1: I laugh it's funny okay.
0: I love Bobby I, I, I think he has to, that's, it, it's not a It's, not a veter, it's a veter, veterinary hospital is it <laughs> yeah
1: uh, <laughs> no I mean but <laughs> I have been to many many wrestling events at this arena um, but not this one and it still bugs me I wasn't it, at this show
0: it's a good clash between this and you know yeah they ripped off tanya harding and nancy kerrigan in an attempt to be topical but um i like that angle actually and you know it it's kind of a similar deal to uh sting and rude at clash 17 where can hogan come back of course he does and of course if you think hulk loses like sting does my god have you not been paying attention to the history of professional wrestling because (laughs) no he doesn't although he does take a count out loss if i remember correctly doesn't he yeah, yeah, Flair wins in the main event. Flair wins because mm-hmm. it, it sets up Halloween. their um, yep. Halloween Havoc career versus career match. Yeah, um, remember how they shamelessly tried to tease that the mystery guy was Mister Perfect?
1: Mm-hmm. I forgot about
0: that. Yeah, like weren't they say like didn't they say things like oh it's the perfect surprise or something? Because like Perfect had like a contract squabble at this time. With WWF, okay, um, yeah, you know, he he had just walked out and, and not done the the Luger program after WrestleMania, so mm-hmm.
1: yeah, you get Antonio Inoki on this show against Stephen Williams. <laughs> yeah, Bumble.
0: that was a real clash of styles <laughs> instead yeah. of clash of champions, I think.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's a good show. Clash twenty eight, August twenty fourth, ninety four, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Check it out. But did, uh, there
0: was a clash in Cleveland, by the way. Did you go? No, it was Clash five. I was too young. Yeah. Although I guess. It was '89. I had been to a WWF show before, but I was not watching the NWA at that time. And something tells me I would have been looking for the pisser during a 20-minute Butch Reed <laughs> Stephen Casey match. It's not <laughs> one hey, of the better uh, clashes.
2: Yeah. Hey, hey, Kyle, what was your preferred Paul Roma team? Uh, Pride and Glory or Pretty Wonderful? Power
0: and Power glory, glory, mean? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Power and Glory for sure. Although I do not uh, hate Pretty Wonderful at all. I think, I think it was much better than Roma and the Horsemen.
2: Wow, wasn't expecting that answer. Yeah,
0: Ro- Roma and Ordorf was a much better team than Roma and Anderson, believe it or not. And Arn Anderson is one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time.
2: Well, Arn Anderson
1: was on uh, many of my just-missed-the-list matches. I mean, I guess I can breeze through these. And then I know, Kyle, you got some, some matches to talk about here as we round it all out. But... Um, I said at the end of my article in fairness here are some of the other matches that I considered for the list it was really really hard and I think I told you guys on a text uh, maybe Austin Steamboat is not top seven if I'm just going by match quality but I was trying to have a good spread of different eras on the list you know for the website but
0: yeah those editors can be real tough far they? they're a real <laughs> I could have everything from like 89 you know yeah. so uh,
1: but yeah I mean, that makes I ha- sense <laughs> Midnight Express and the Fantastics, I mentioned earlier, Clash 1. I mean, just straight-up match quality. That probably would have made my list, too. But I had my honorable mentions. I had Midnight and Flair and Wyndham from Clash 4. Uh, Flair and Sting against Slater and Muda from Clash 8, which I think came up on our Flair draft, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Luger and Pillman, Clash 9. Luger and Flair, Clash 12. I had Dustin and Barry against Arn and Bobby Eaton from Clash 19. Barry and Dustin against Steamboat and Shane Douglas from Clash 21. Uh, the Hollywood bl- Blondes, that's Austin and Pillman against Flair and Arn Anderson from Clash 23. Flair and Sting at Clash 27. And then one from the second-to-last edition of the Clash of the Champions, Ultimo Dragon and Dean Malenko, Clash 34. And so, all together, I mean, those with, with the other seven, I mean, that if you
0: haven't seen these matches, guys, there's your watch list. Get at it. Yeah, that Dragon Malenko match is very much the peak, I think, of the Cruiserweight division. I'm not saying this match specifically was the peak of the division, but that time period, the previous three pay per views, you had various combinations of Malenko, Ray, and Dragon opening up the pay per views match of the year contenders every time. So, um, and uh, they actually even referenced Dragon losing the eight titles to Jushin Liger at the big Tokyo Dome show, um, which was, you know early January, not yet named Wrestle Kingdom. That's what we know it now, but, you know, even going back there, there was always that big early uh, year New Japan show, and uh, God bless him for referencing it. Thank you, Mike, today, because I don't know what Dusty Rhodes and Bobby were talking about during that match. (laughs) That that would be my lone representative, and I think it was yours if I heard correctly from the Nitro-era clashes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, By the way, Ric Flair, great tag team wrestler, You had three Mm. tags. Yeah, who who knew? uh, (laughs) I agree with you on all three of them. The one from four, the one from eight, and the one from 23. Yeah, those those are all good ones. Um, The other three I'd like to add, and these would be contenders for my top seven. One of these would would round out the top seven. Steiners against Doc and Gordy from Clash 19. Uh, Much better than their very boring draw that they did at Beach Blast. Um, there Uh Barry Windham and Too Cold Scorpio from Clash 23 Uh, I love this freaking match man it's worked so smartly in a way that like so much modern wrestling isn't you have Barry the big favorite wrestles the match like a big favorite and it all builds to this tremendous baby face comeback from Too Cold by the way please at some point during the show ride if I can make the rare production request okay. two songs yep. need to be played the at the actual Midnight Express theme song, and then Too Cold Scorpio's theme song. The Too Cold. We gotta get that in there.
2: Everybody, here
0: comes Too the- oh, Cold Scorpio. That'll get not Flash dancing. Funk. No, we're not. <laughs> that that is never to be spoken of again. Flash Funk. Um, I'm just trying then- to make you swear at this point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Flash Funk. Come on! That? No, that
1: is a that is a freaking awesome match, though. That I can't yeah. believe I forgot to put that one on my list. To be honest, and, and really then like that one
0: too. Uh, but by, by the way, did you, during this match? I think my, I thought of you, Ryan, because uh, Jesse Ventura takes a little pot shot at Michael Jordan during uh, the match when he when he asks who's MJ betting on tonight when Tony runs down the card. Oh, just Jesse after the 93- Ventura, <laughs> what an <laughs> absolute beauty! June 93
1: i mean that's like yeah. during or just after the 93 finals wow
0: yeah that was Who's the big story in nba at the time yeah um and then i think the match that i would put at number seven on my list is i think it, this was the original deep dive correct me if i'm wrong justin joint dustin rhodes invader from clash 29 a little 94 action for you
2: uh it, yeah it definitely is because i that's the only reason i watched this match okay. uh because your recommendation yeah
0: uh, Hulk Hogan's hideous takeover the promotion was well underway at this point uh, but these two simply just did not get the memo because they worked a very old school WCW-ish match. Vader yelling this ain't no tea party boy and Dustin Rhodes with just unbelievable baby face fire in this match. I mean just taking Vader down to a massive pop um, there's this great spot where he goes for the bulldog and Vader just chucks him out of the ring. Just real good stuff.
1: I, yeah, I remember when you recommended this on the show. And I, I know I watched this match live, but I didn't really remember it. I remember just being blown away watching it. And we were all texting, like after we had recorded that show where you did uh, the deep dive, just all of us were marking out about this match. That's a great one. Yeah. Vader Dustin, Clash 29.
0: Probably between November 94. 94- and September 95, the best WCW match. <laughs> I think. There's not a lot of competition. That's I'm trying to like because, you know, Pillman and Johnny B. Bad at Fall Brawl have a really good match that I would put on the same level, similar star rating, as his Vader Dustin Rhodes match. But um, it was real slim pickings for that next 10 months or so.
2: What, was that match brought up because uh, we'd previously wondered what, Uh, Dustin Rose's best singles match was
0: maybe that's why we talked about it. I can't remember.
2: I can't remember either. Yeah, I mean,
1: you could be right. I I'm trying to think late '94 and early '95. I can't think of anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean the 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 first eight months of 1995 WCW are I I just don't know what to say. I mean, it's (laughs) shitty as Jason Whitlock. <laughs> yes
1: which and is really pretty shitty. shitty that's
0: pretty yeah. shitty yes
1: yeah. yes it is oh
0: man alright well I mean I hope for the listeners this is this is. Uh, J- just remember kids if you want to be on TV have a little bit of discipline at the buffet table come on now Ooh. yikes
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh with that said <laughs> oh man well I mean like I was saying before <laughs>
0: before that one keep it together you're a broadcast professional mr drosty
2: all
1: right (laughs) if i i really hope though you know i I know there's some people that listen to the show that weren't exactly watching wrestling in the late 80s and early to mid 90s so hopefully this has given you something to do over the weekend as you get ready for wwe clash of champions go back relive some of these matches i mean there's a lot of really good ones we just talked about a couple dozen of them probably but uh I mean, you can't go wrong with any of them that were mentioned on this program, I
2: think. Johnny B. Bad versus the Honky Tonk Man? Come on. Go back.
1: Watch oh, him. Or we know how much you love the Honky
2: Tonk Man. Oh, enjoy. I love Honky Tonk Man.
1: <laughs>
0: All the right.
2: champion.
1: Yes, yes. He's a great one.
0: <laughs>
1: so, guys, hey,
0: it was His fun. WCW run absolutely smelled, though. Oh, I yeah. mean, real bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, real bad. Yeah.
1: I remember him that uh, that Clash in Iowa, 28, there was commercials that he was on for that show, and
0: I was changing yeah, every time. It, it was right after the Dustin Vader match. They debuted his new music video, mm. and it was not good.
1: It was bad. It was quite bad. So What's
0: pissed. the best WWE Clash of Champions match, real quick? Can you name one off the top of your head? You know, it's funny
1: you mention that, because when I pitched the idea for this article... Uh, I believe a couple of weeks ago, uh, they they wanted me to do a, like a combined WCW Clash of Champions and WWE or WCW Clash of the Champions and WWE Clash of Champions, and I was like, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I don't think any WWE match would make that list. So, uh, <laughs> my project this weekend is to do a
0: best WWE Clash of Champions. Good luck, because yeah. if if you were to have read these cards to me and said, this happened, I'd be like, okay, I guess, if you say so. I have no recollection of any of these matches. Um, I oh, mean, it was Night is... of
1: Champions first, right? And then they changed the name to climb, yes, Clash of Champions. Yes, that's true.
0: Yeah. So at the 2016, well, I know this will get Ryan's dandruff, we had the TJ Perkins-Brian Kendrick cruiserweight title match. Mm-hmm. Remember that? That was one of our first shows. Remember how, like, you were just absolutely irate at that being the first Cruiserweight title program? <laughs> I, man,
1: I think I was proven correct because I did not like TJP even then. And man, that guy's turned into a massive tool ever since. So,
0: oh, that's one way to put it. Yes, I, <laughs> I would agree. Imagine that. Imagine. Uh. Imagine a grown-ass man dabbing, turn, <laughs> turning out to be a oh, tool. Oh, yeah,
1: that's what I was, I think that's what I was raging on, wasn't it? How dumb the dabbing was? Oh, yes. you have to go way back in the archives to listen to that one, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember, I'm, I'm looking at the old cards, Brian and Orton, Knight of Champions, 13.
0: That's uh, not a good match, I don't, well, I mean, it's it's alright for Brian, but, like, um, I don't think, I'm, I'm looking through... Punk and Hardy, 09,
1: Knight of Champions, Okay. I don't even really remember that match though. I don't just I mean the SummerSlam like
0: like, match decent. is good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the SummerSlam match is really good. Uh pff, man, I'm just I'm just scrolling through the cards right now and pff, Punk and Cena in twenty twelve probably was decent. I just don't remember it. Like they don't stand out like these other ones that we no. talked about at all. So I got some research the next couple of days to uh put that list together right.
0: i'm interested to see that list yeah i will send Can it to you them. come up with seven mm.
1: i'm sure i will but uh they're not going to compare to this list i'll tell you that much but yeah no these are much much better matches for one of the best eras in, in pro wrestling specifically 1989 was so good in wcw so check out those 1989 matches guys if you haven't seen them uh, you can tweet the show at Top Rope Nation. You can email us. We'll be doing another mailbag segment very soon. If you send in a uh, question that we read on the air, that's another way to get a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. i sent out dozens of them at this point. So I'd love to send some more, though. I am bought like 100 of those stickers. So uh, I got some free stuff, guys. Send out a question for us to talk about on the show. Toprope Nation at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Ryan Drosti. That's D R O S T E. Uh, Kyle, where can the listeners find you?
0: At TRP Kyle.
1: And uh, Justin, where can they find you? Uh,
2: at
0: Justin Joint.
1: When he logs in every couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Too busy eating Taco Johns. Oh. that's it. a great way to end these shows. <laughs> Just like yeah. last the last one, right? Kyle's gonna
2: get Taco Johns pretty soon. Hey, hey, listeners. Uh, Uh, Get a hold of us. Let us know how many of you could actually take down an entire six-pack in a pound. I know one guy who can.
0: (laughs) And I ain't sharing.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: man.
0: Oh, you were talking about Jason Whitlock. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 That's
1: awesome. That's awesome.
0: Speaking of disgusting, uh, besides Jason Whitlock, how about Triple H's win over CM Punk at uh, Night of Champions 2011?
2: That was bad. Ooh, that was yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was the one where Kevin Nash ran in, right?
0: He was around at that time. I mean, Nash, he had cost Punk the title at SummerSlam. Wait, I think, wasn't Punk supposed to work Kevin Nash the show and Kevin Nash had, like, some medical issue? Yeah, and so, I like, remember Triple their H pro- had to step I remember in. Yeah, was this yeah. the one? That sounds right. Yeah, and then, yeah. This isn't CM Punk talking to Triple H. This is Phil Brooks talking to Paul LeVac. Yeah. (laughs) Oh,
1: man. All right, guys. We're going to hit the road. (laughs) I'm going to get some Taco John's tomorrow and send a picture to Kyle. So uh, with that said, probably eat it while I'm mixing this show. (laughs) With that said, this has been episode 175 of Top Rope Nation. We'll get all three of us back together again real soon. We'll see you on those podcast feeds on Monday morning. Have a good weekend. Peace.